Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. Uh, we've been away for a while, well, frankly, not much has been going on baseball-wise, which I am going to discuss in this podcast today. I have two guests, uh, Randall J. Sanders, who you can follow at Randall J. Sanders on Twitter. He's a contributor to Numbers MOB and really puts together a lot of Great audio packages of, um, you know, calls from Pat Hughes and others of moments in Cubs games. And then my other guest is Todd Johnson, who is um, more of a minor league expert. He is one of my fellow writers on Cubs Insider. You can follow him at CubsCentral08 on Twitter. And he has a blog, CubsCentral at WordPress.com. Before we start with the two interviews, though, I will um, say, you know, if you'd like to contact me, get a question on the podcast, uh, you can at my Twitter, at STH85, or you can email me at seanholland85 at hotmail.com. And if you have any questions or any comments you want to get on the podcast, uh, feel free to do so. I will try to get it on the air if any of you are even listening. Now to our interviews. First up is Randall J. Sanders, and we talk a little bit about the very slow offseason, which starter the Cubs should add, and finish with a little bit of talk about the Chicago Blackhawks. So here is Randall. And I guess we'll start out on this. I haven't had any guests since uh, November because, well... Nothing, nothing has happened. Exactly. Nothing has happened. So I will get off on that question. Do you like the Cubs move so far, which have mostly been bullpen related? I think what they've done so far have, I think they've been what the team has needed. I think adding Brandon Morrow ostensibly to close was a good move. Hopefully he can give you similar reliability and production to Wade Davis at a lot less money. Uh, I would have loved for them to have brought back Wade Davis, but at the money he got with some of his injury history and with some of his uh, peripherals trending in the wrong direction in the second half, I would have been very nervous giving him the money that Colorado gave him. Uh, not that Morrow doesn't come with his own injury risks, but he also came at a considerably lower price tag. Uh, so I hopefully that's the stability that you need at the back of the bullpen. Uh, and other than that, Sishik uh, is uh, a reliable reliever when he's on, and they are returning most of the rest of their guys. Uh, I'm sad to see Hector Rondon go. He was a favorite of mine. Uh, but you hope Carl Edwards Jr. can take that step forward. You hope guys like Grimm and Justin Wilson can return to form. And bullpen relievers, relievers are such volatile players. You can go from all-star closer one year to uh, trying to catch on as a, a minor league invitee uh, a couple seasons later. Uh, so it's such a, a volatile position within the roster that I am at least optimistic that 
some of last year's down relievers can pick themselves back up and be very productive this year. Uh, so as far as adding to that bullpen and keeping it stable, I think they've done a good job of that. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. And Moro does have a lot of injury risks, but I kind of like this attacking it from kind of like a group think, which I mean, a lot of people are worried about not having a closer per se, but if a lot of these guys do like hit their, even some of their full potential, you could have a very good bullpen. So Exactly. Even if you lack a designated closer, and apparently they don't. To them, Morrow is the closer right now, and that's fine because I think he'll be very good in that role. But ultimately, if you have a bullpen full of very effective relievers who can get outs, one of them will usually emerge and take that closer's job if there isn't necessarily someone holding on to it already. So whether that's Morrow or maybe this is the year Edwards Jr. takes that step forward and uh, finds his command for the entire season, it's not at all out of the question that he could be your full-time closer by the end of the season if he is to bring the walks down. So I think they have good quantity and I think they have good quality within that quantity. There's Right now, there's nobody in that bullpen who necessarily has an extensive history of failure or not producing. Not that, be, not that there would be anyone in a bullpen with a history like that, but everyone in that bullpen right now has a fairly recent history of being an effective reliever. Yeah, and that's actually an interesting topic on that kind of is uh, Justin Wilson, who was such a flop when the Cubs traded for him last year but has a track record of being a very good bullpen piece. So, you know, he's almost like an afterthought now, but if he can be even close to what he was before, he'd be very effective. Right. And and like I said, relievers are such volatile positions. You can go from great to awful, sometimes even back again over the course of two or even three seasons. Uh, So for the most part, they got by without him last season. And if he can, return to the form they thought they were getting from Detroit when they traded for him, which is not at all out of the question. It makes a, at least a decent bullpen that much better. Yeah. And so now I guess we'll move on to the starting pitching, which the Cubs did sign Tyler Chatwood, which a lot of people liked as a buy low option, but there's a lot of debate now between what we know, Jake Arietta and what a lot of people, me included are hoping for in you Darvish. But do you think the Cubs add another starter, and which one do you think they go with? I personally do think they will add another starter, and I do think they will either bring back Arietta or get one of Darvish or Cobb. I, of those three, I would say Darvish is at the top of my list. He is, uh, I think, a year younger than Jake, and... Uh, well, okay, they're about the, okay. He's about five months younger than Jake, but his uh, his strikeouts per nine have remained a little more consistent over the last few year, over the last few seasons. Coming off of that Tommy John surgery, his velocity has remained more consistent. It ticked down a little bit after his surgery, but it has come back up. Uh, we have seen Jake Arrieta go from change of scenery by low candidate to all-world, historic second-half Cy Young pitcher, to somewhere in between those two, trending more towards the latter than the former. But there were times 
in 2016 and again last season where it seemed like he he had no idea where the ball was going and batters were not biting on that breaking pitch of his, the, uh, the slider cutter. And when the batters know that they can just stand there and wait him out, that is usually where you run into trouble. I think Darvish overall has been a little more consistent. He hasn't necessarily been better than Arietta, but he also hasn't been worse. If I had my choice of any of the three, I personally would take Darvish. Yeah, I, I agree with you too because I kind of wrote about this for Cubs Insider. But you know, his Darvish's FIP has been between two eighty and three eighty his whole career. He's never had a year where he was above, you know, above three eighty for FIP, and not really anywhere he was below like two eighty. So he's very consistent, as opposed to Jake Arrieta, whose FIP in twenty seventeen was four point one six, which tells you a good deal so like you said for my money i would take darvish i think he's been more consistent and i think he potentially projects better to remain productive in that regard going forward yeah it's kind of the difference between like a smooth flight plan and a roller coaster now the roller coaster the highs will be higher and the lows will be, so he you know when he's really good Arietta would be better than Darvish, but when he's off, he's way worse than Darvish. When when he's off, when he has no idea where the ball is going and the hitters can just wait out the fastball, it can be very difficult to watch. And we saw that more than a few times last year where he was throwing those crossfire pitches that were diving out of the zone. The batters weren't biting, and it was just one He's just falling behind in the count one batter after another. And we trusted him for the most part to be productive and get out of it because he's he's not just Jake Arietta, he's simply Jake to us Mm -hmm. at this point but going forward if going forward i would have my concerns about his production potentially dropping as a result i guess we'll move on but i just want to add that i would take credit for being one of the earliest supporters of bringing uh you darvish to the cubs back in 2011 when he was being posted but uh my good friend from cubs den mike banghart dabinsky to everyone uh was on board with a Darvish from like when he was still in Japan. So I can't take credit for being the founder of that bandwagon. Uh, well, I remember, I remember that off season he was posted and uh, I remember that the Cubs were not, they were not poised to be com- particularly competitive and he, his, his MLB debut, his rookie season was 2012. And that of course was still relatively early in the Cubs rebuild as nice as it would have been to see the Cubs pay that money. Uh, I remember understanding at the time he probably wasn't what the Cubs needed at that time. So but if you were on the Darvish bandwagon from, from the beginning, uh, good for you. And you would probably very much enjoy seeing him finally make his way to your favorite team. Well, I guess now we'll move on from just the Cubs to, this off season in general has just been like, I guess the, the kind term would be slow developing, but it has been just like brutal waiting for people to sign. There is still a very capable lineup and at least three fifths of a starting rotation out there uh, left unsigned. You could make a, you could make a competitive team out of the notable players who haven't found a team yet. Yeah. And I guess that brings me to the raging debate on Twitter right now and Cubs Twitter about is there collusion? Is there not collusion? Where do you stand on this? I am inclined to believe that it is not uh, a collusion effort, but I very much agree that the owners staying within the current CBA, it incentivizes 
the it incentivizes this as you called it slow developing off season uh, that we are that we are trudging through right now. So I, I don't believe that the that management is necessarily acting outside the spirit of the rules, but I do believe that the rules themselves are probably sending us eventually towards a work stoppage when this CBA expires, because I think the players are going to fight back and want protection from this happening. And I think it is, I think it is going to be a very bitter fight when the time comes. So hopefully this off season ends up uh, a blip as opposed to the norm going forward. Because imagine the off season following next following this season, where you have names like Bryce Harper and potentially Manny Machado entering free agency. Imagine if their free agencies uh, drag on into mid January, three weeks from pitchers and catchers reporting. That's that's not going to be good for anyone. So I, I certainly hope that the remaining big names are able to sign contracts soon, and I hope for their sake that they get all the money that a given team will get will give them. I don't begrudge the players one bit getting whatever money the teams will offer them. And I think that potentially gets lost in this debate. Sometimes you can say you, you, I can say I wouldn't necessarily pay Eric Hosmer 150 million over seven years. I'm not a GM. And I don't think I want to be a GM because it seems like a a fairly thankless existence. That doesn't mean that I begrudge uh, Hosmer or any other player getting every cent that a team will offer them. I hope they take that money and I hope they and their, their family for several generations can be very comfortable with it. Uh, so I, I think that's a distinction that gets lost in the at times very venomous debate currently raging. Yeah. And I, I don't know other people listening might not know, but I'll just go through the basics real quick of this potential work stoppages is coming because if the market is now players under 28, 29 are the valuable players in the current system. Those players are um, under team control for six years. So the first three years, they don't have any power in the team just offers them a contract. And then the next three years they go to arbitration, but they can't become a free agent for six years. And obviously if the market is valuing players that are under 28, most players will be over 28 when they become free agents. Losing the ability to cash in on what is probably the biggest, their, their best opportunity to score the biggest contract of their careers. So I agree that we are probably headed towards some manner of seismic shift at the end of the current CBA. What form that will take, uh, who can say at this point, but I do agree that's probably where we're headed to some degree. Yeah, and... That's, it's almost a side issue of whether the owners are actively, you know, colluding to do this or it's just happening because it's almost like a, um, a side issue if you think about it. I, I think that the, the, the luxury tax and the penalty, the penalty for going over the luxury tax are incentivizing the, 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 the tamping down of some of the player contracts we've seen in seasons past. And I think that as that continues to be the case you will see more and more players holding out until they can get the most money out of a team which again is their right entirely they have the right to be free agents they have the right to uh, demand as much money as they think they can get out of a given team 
Yeah. And I guess we'll move on from that. And um, I'll go to one more issue about this year's Cubs. And then I'll ask you a question about just the Cubs in general. But um, how do you feel about the lineup? Where do you, what do you want when you're thinking of like, say a lead off man or lineup construction? I think part of the part of the problem, if problem it is, is that I do think the 2017 Cubs missed Dexter Fowler uh, as far as a somebody at the top of the lineup able to reliably get on base. I don't think they have that player on this roster, but if you are able to get somebody at the top of that lineup from this current roster who can get on base just as consistently, I think you will see the offense start to uh, rise from its 2017 levels back to where it was in 2016, where the Cubs would routinely make opposing starters throw 20, 25 pitches in the first inning alone. Kyle Schwarber, we know he has uh, an excellent innate command of the strike zone. And I think he simply had some trouble adjusting to that role. If Joe Madden puts him back there atop the lineup this season, I think there's going to be a lot of grumbling, but I think there's a very real chance that it will actually work out this time. Uh, You could also see them do something quote unquote crazy, like batting Chris Bryant leadoff. And I think in many ways that would work very well because we know Chris Bryant also has uh, excellent command of the strike zone. His on base skills have ticked up every season of his in the majors. And aside from missing some of his power in the middle of the lineup, I think he would make an excellent leadoff hitter for the Cubs if they get as far as trying that. Yeah. And I, yeah, I wrote about uh, Chris Bryant being a leadoff hitter, which I think on one level would probably work. And the only reservation I'd have about him or Schwarber leading off is um, the story I heard from, um, from Jason Hayward, who told reporters that, he felt when he was placed in the leadoff spot in Atlanta that it, you know, changed his approach and he got more passive and he felt that really hurt him. But the stats, like, they say that Chris Bryant should be the leadoff hitter. So it's a very, like, you know, tough call. It, it is a very tough call. And I don't envy the I don't envy the managers who have to make that call if they don't necessarily have a traditional leadoff hitter on the roster. I think Zobrist could also be that guy. He obviously isn't much of a runner, but we know that for his career, not just with the Cubs, but for his career, he's been an excellent on base guy. Um, so, and, and I think I think you're also going to see a. Uh, uh, a downtick in Zobrist's plate appearances this year. I think he recognizes he's probably getting a little older and maybe isn't served to uh, take 500 plate appearances a season anymore. So I think in the spring you are going to see Joe mix and match in that leadoff spot quite a bit, trying to find out who works best there, who is most comfortable there. Uh, so I think it'll be a very interesting uh, spring training this year to see what Joe tries as far as his lineup combinations to try and find something that works as consistently as possible. Yeah, it, it will be very interesting to see. So I, I will go to this question that I ask everybody I have on here, and it's basically, how did you become a Cubs fan? I was simply given no choice in the matter. I am a third generation Cubs fan after my father and my grandfather. And I was, uh, I was indoctrinated into, into this Cubs life, uh, before, before I could lodge any kind of complaint for better or for worse. So it is, uh, it is born into me. It is ingrained into me. And for as, 
And, and for every one time I have wished that it was not, there are a hundred other times where I'm very thankful for it. Well, that's good. Cause I, I am also a third generation, maybe fourth. I'd have to go back and ask, but yeah, the, yeah, it's kind of like, you're just, you're a Cubs fan. That's it. It, it is. It's, it's, it's something you're, it's something you're born into a lot of the time. And I think in a lot of ways, those are the, I think in a lot of ways, those are the best sports fandoms, the ones that are ingrained into you. Um, I think if you're in a position where you can kind of pick your team, there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you, maybe you adopted a sport later on in life, uh, rather than as a, a younger individual, maybe you moved and needed to pick a new team. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think the ones that you are born into, uh, are the ones that are the most enjoyable because the, as, as terrible as the emotional lows are, I think the emotional payoffs are that made that much better. Yeah. I, th- I think you're right on that. So, yeah, that's a simple explanation then. And then I have one more question. That All right. You were one of the people I talked to on Twitter about the Chicago Blackhawks. Yes. And I just wanted to know what your take on the team this year is because it's kind uh, of a struggle. As as painful as it is to admit, I do think the window is starting to close, especially if Crawford is out with his concussion symptoms the remainder of the season, because they are a they are a very very mediocre team. If they are starting Anton Forsberg and Jeff Glass in goal every other night, and as much as it pains me to say, I think the window may be closing. Maybe they can sneak in as a wild card this year, but I don't think anybody is saying that they are a Stanley cup winning team this year. And as unfortunate as that is, they did give us three titles in the span of six seasons and uh, loathe as we might be to look ahead for the Cubs. There's going to come a point where uh, the, the Cubs current window starts to close. And as is the case for both teams, you hope that they can make good use of the still very talented core players that are in place. And you hope that they can minimize the downtime and try and open up a new window as soon as possible. Uh, So I'm, I wouldn't say I'm content to sit back and watch this season, but if they do uh, falter and miss the playoffs this year, it certainly won't be fun, but it's not as if it wasn't fun along the way. And we should all be so lucky as to see a team win three titles in six seasons. Yeah. It is kind of greedy to complain about, you know, this team struggling this year and stuff that they've given us so much. I I agree. And, and again, that's one of the other things about sports fandoms is it is inherently greedy and you kind of have to find a way to shut that off. You know, you win one title, you want two, you win two titles, you want three, you win three titles, you want four. Uh, There, there goes, there does, I think, come a point where you have to look back and say, look, they've given us a lot. If they, if the window is closing and it's going to be a a down two or three seasons, it's not the worst thing in the world because it was a lot of fun getting here. Exactly. Yeah. And I will say one thing that I got very wrong that I like to admit blame when I, uh, when I mess up is that I thought the Seabrook extension was a good move. I thought he would, I thought he would age gracefully. He was such a solid and he wasn't, Speed wasn't a big part of his game, but man, he has dropped off like a rock. I was uh, worried, but optimistic when they signed him. Uh, I think I think you could make a uh, 
I think you could make a, a reasonable comparison, perhaps between Brent Seabrook and Jake Arietta. I think uh, Seabrook's maybe had a more consistent career where Arietta's highs have been a lot higher. But either way, I think if you signed uh, Jake Arietta to a Seabrook-like extension, allowing for the differences between baseball contracts and hockey contracts, m- my fear is that if you signed Arietta to an extension like that on the basis that he is your your hometown guy in a mm-hmm. sense. I think he, my, my fear is that he would not age gracefully in the way that we have seen Seabrook turn into, I'm sorry, Brent turn into basically a, a chunk of lead in a red sweater out there on the ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably all I have to finally say about the Blackhawks is, you know, it's a tough year when the biggest like positive is Jordan Osterley's breakout performance yeah that's that's not typically a sign you're having a great season it it, it really isn't but uh you know you, you take it as it comes you hope they can find some consistency you hope they can stay afloat with the goaltending and you see where you are in april when the when the playoffs begin mm-hmm. and I, I didn't mean that as an insult to jordan osterley because no I no like him jordan osterley if you're listening we're, we're both big fans of you no no disrespect <laughs> yeah well i think that's a good note to end on and Uh, Thank you for coming on my podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Next, we move on to my interview with uh, Todd Johnson. And we talk a lot about the current state of the Cubs minor league system. Um, Minor league players we've enjoyed watching in the past. Uh, A little bit of history discussion at the end. And a hawk makes an appearance. You'll you'll hear. Uh, Here's my interview with Todd Johnson. Uh, how do you feel about the Cubs going into this year? Huh? I feel pretty good. I, I think the opening day roster is going to look a lot different um, than, say, the roster in August. Maybe, I don't know, three or five players might be different come August than what they open the season with. I don't, I don't think they're done um, getting certain parts yet. That could be a veteran catcher, bullpen, rotation guy. I think um, I think that's a little unsettled. I think the market's not quite what um, it should be. So I think the Cubs might just hold off on getting someone until later. They might use their prospects to go get somebody in June or July. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm thinking too. And yeah. Of course, they, I still think they are going to sign some kind of, you know, starter, whoever it may be, Darvish, Arietta, Cobb, somebody. Um, do you have a clear favorite in that? Someone that you want them to sign as a free agent pitcher? Well, I, I, not really. I mean, I, I tend to lean towards Darvish just because he's a little bit more um, – Consistent, I guess, would be the best word than, say, Arietta, who's kind of been the highest of highs. And when he came, he was at the lowest of lows. Um, but, you know, last year he's he's learning to work with, um, I guess, his changing arsenal. He's trying to pitch with what he has, and he's still trying to figure that out, I think. But I I wouldn't be opposed to Arietta coming back on a one-year deal or but I, I tend to lean towards Darvish just because I think he's the more consistent and he's thrown more innings um, on a consistent basis than Arietta has. Yeah. 
And I, I tend to agree with you that I want Darvish to be the uh, answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we'll move away a little bit from the, from the big club, because I talked like um, or my other guest of this week, uh, Randall Sandy. Yeah. I talked to him more about the big team. So I'm going to go mm-hmm. more to your specialty, which is the minor leagues. Yeah. Which you like to write a lot about. And um, I just went, what is your feel for the Cubs system? Obviously not as strong as it once was. A lot of guys going up to the major league level. How do you feel about the Cubs minor league system right now? Uh, I think, I think hopeful. I mean, it's not going to be a top 10 or even a top 15 or a top 20 system. But um, I think in a couple of years, it could be, you know, a top 10 system uh, that I was just talking to Evan last night about um, this 2015 international free agent class is really starting to come stateside now. Uh, we've seen Albertos and Assad last year at Eugene, and we're going to see a lot more this year at Eugene and Mesa. Um, and I think that's really the hope of the organization. There's a lot of good players sprinkled throughout the system from, you know, South Bend on up to Iowa. And there's guys who will definitely, that can help the major league club. But right now there's no one um, who really projects to be that real impact player um, this year, other than say, you know, Dylan Maples. Um, But Caratini could come up and he could help out the club. Um, He's got a nice bat. Um, He can fill in on the bench. And um, Zagunas and Bodie could come up this year and help out off the bench. And same for Jen Hosang could be an emergency star. They have lots of guys that can come up and help. It's just they don't have that one impact player. Like like when Eloy was traded, my heart just sank. It really did. Yeah. Um, I I wasn't devastated, but I was just like, oh, my God, this kid is just going to be a superstar. I mean, it's just they don't have that superstar in waiting right now. Um, there is Nelson Velasquez, who was uh, in rookie league in Arizona last year, is the guy I'm co- kind of holding on to as the big bat. Um, he hit, uh, I think it was eight home runs in about a six-week span of, in, in rookie league. And uh, I'm really excited to see uh, him play at Eugene this year. So, I mean, overall, I think the system – has some guys who could develop, but that's the key. They, they, they still have a lot to improve on in their game in order to get to be pros or even say a top 100 prospect, which the Cubs don't have right now. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that, that the top 100 rankings came out and there were no Cubs in it. Hmm? And it's just yeah. a massive, like, change of from what it was just like five years ago it's kind of yeah you know you'll go back to 2013 and 14 and you're looking at six or seven cubs uh on a top 100 list by uh mlb pipeline or baseball america or baseball prospectus there were a lot of guys who filled that role and you know most of them except for pierce johnson and um jorge soler are still with the system so, I mean, it's not like the farm system is not producing. It's producing. It's just um, 
most of those guys are already at the major league level. So that's where I, I kind of wanted to go with that. If there isn't a top 100 prospect, but who would be, say, 103? Who's the Cubs' top prospect <laughs> in the system right now? Um, I like Jose Albertos um, for a number of reasons. Um, I think, you know, some people like Alzole, Albert Alzole, and um, he was fantastic last year. The year before at South Bend, um, he got off to a really good start in April. And then he ran into some trouble in May and it was just every game was a struggle for him um, because his secondaries were a little bit lacking. And last year he improved on that and I'm sure he's going to improve on that again this year. Um, and I think he's going to be the first one who's really going to be an impact pitcher. But Albertos right now, my God, I'm telling you, <laughs> uh, Watching him pitch for Eugene last year was just not a revelation, but it was pretty, pretty, pretty cool. He throws the ball nice and easy coming out of his hand and it just explodes on the hitter. Um, he has a changeup, which he didn't throw in the first half of the year very much um, because he was working on his curveball, and he still, he doesn't have the grip quite right yet. And, um, he's kind of strained his forearm a little bit because he was throwing it too much. So they sat him down for a couple of starts, and then he came back out in the second half of the year, and he just pretty much went fastball changeup with an occasional curve. And his changeup just just dives in on a right-handed hitter, and there's I mean, they have no chance. I mean, he literally right now has two plus pitches, and um, Jaron Madison referred to him as – MLB caliber pitches at the Cubs convention. And I really, I just think his, his ceiling is w way higher than Alberto's. Alberto's is going to throw in the mid nineties. And right now his curve is never going to, it's, it's not advancing um, to the point that it's a dominating pitch and the same for his changeup. But I mean, he can get him across, he can throw him for strikes and, he can change speeds and, but Alberto's big or um, Alzale's big thing last year was that he really quickened his pace. Um, his pitching coach, Anderson Tavares in Myrtle beach really talked to him about keeping the hitters off balance by pitching faster. And he would just, he'd get the ball, he'd get the sign and he'd go. And there really wasn't much uh, time for the hitter to think and um, really think about what Alberto's or Alzale was trying to throw him, but Alberto's, I mean, his ceiling is extremely high and he's going to be at South Bend next year. So I'll get to see most of his games while he's still there. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. Well, it is, I didn't ask you about that. Cause you can, you go to a lot of the minor league games. Well, I actually, um, I do go to South Bend games, uh, when they play, uh, west of the Indiana line. I, I try to see them all in, um, in Kane County and Peoria, uh, the Quad Cities, Clinton, Iowa, Beloit, Wisconsin. Those are all hour, hour and a half away at most. Like Beloit's only like 40 minutes for me. Um, but yeah, I, I go to the all those games when they're out here. And then I have a MILB TV and 
Uh, I want to say about half the teams in the Midwest League for Class A, low Class A have it. And then about a half in um, the Carolina League have it. So I can watch Myrtle Beach every night. And then only two have it in short season ball, just Hillsborough and Eugene. Mm -hmm. And then um, most of the Southern League teams have it for AA. And I think every AAA team has it. So I can, but the camera work is best at um, South Bend. They have the best cameras. So it's nicer to watch. But yeah, I I tend to spend three days with the team at a time, mm-hmm. and uh, that's interesting because um, you really gain appreciation of who works hard and like Cavante Mitchell is just he's a workout beast, and um, he saw as many pitches last year as he did in his first three years in rookie ball and short season ball. And he's, he's a guy who I think this year could just um, kind of break out there at Myrtle Beach. So um, you pick up little things like that. and um, Like, for example, pitcher Chad Hawking. To watch him on TV, you're like, oh, man, he's really struggling to get the ball over. Mm-hmm. And then you go watch him live, and you get a different appreciation of him because his ball really hops, his fastball. It's got two or three levels to it and it's hard to pick up on tv but um in person he th- he throws much better than he than he than it looks he just is not putting the ball where he wants to in the zone so he i mean that's his area he has to work on so you can pick up little differences i mean you can watch a pitcher and get um like for example jake stanette the hawk is back. um there's a hawk on our porch <laughs> um so my wife's getting ready to take a picture um so uh where was i oh jake stanett like his stuff moves like like he's throwing wiffle balls up there to the plate and same for preston morrison but you can catch the movement but you don't really see um the explosiveness of the pitch as you can live like i love my favorite pitcher to watch live the past few years has been uh trevor clifton mm-hmm his ball just like about 10 feet from the plate, no matter what pitch he's throwing, the ball just tends to explode. Um, he gets a lot of late movement and uh, it explains why he's had success. And it also explains why he's had some trouble. Like mm-hmm. last year, his second half was not very good, but his first half, he's, he's still got what it takes to get to uh, Chicago. He just, just got to put it together. So, yeah. And um, because I, I have a similar experience because I in where I live in Billings, um, mm-hmm. we, have a minor, we have a minor league team. It's not the Cubs, unfortunately. Uh, it's they're the Reds affiliate, but they're a rookie league team. And um, I go to a lot of their games. So yeah. it's interesting to see the players. And that's why I was going to ask you, um, what player were you most excited to go to a game and see in person? That oh, you that's going to be a big deal. Oh, that's Eloy. Well, I, I mean, I had seen Schwarber play, and I was a little upset that because um, when the Cubs were in Kane County, went, uh, my wife and I went to a lot of the games there because it's only like 45 minutes for us to get there. And um, so we, we saw a lot of games, and we got to see Schwarber play and Contreras and um, 
when Baez was in Peoria, they came to town. Um, I was a little upset that Brian skipped the mm-hmm. Midwest League and went right to Daytona. <laughs> and um, but you know, I was excited to see Schwarber, and uh, but Eloy for me was uh, he was my favorite. Yeah, because so. there are a couple interesting ones that um, I remember. Prince Fielder was on the Helena Brewers. Yeah. Okay, and everyone knew like that's Cecil Fielder's son. So and he had a massive home run when I was there. I remember that. Um, another one was uh, Jay Bruce. Everyone was because he was yeah. a first round pick. He was only there for like five games. And um, and then last year there was a ton of hoopla because um, Hunter Green, the number yeah. two overall pick, uh, came oh. and I, I wanted to get. I got right behind home plate to watch him pitch. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. And um, did Senzel from Cincinnati, did he skip that league? Uh, he did, yeah. Oh, because he was – in the past couple of years, the Midwest League's had a lot of um, good players. Like last year they had um, – <clears throat> was it Lansing had Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. the first half. And I tell you what, that Bichette kid can just rake. Yeah. I mean, he just – and he looked like he wasn't even trying. He'd lace a ball to right field. He'd pull one down the left field line. He was hitting it all over the ballpark. I think he went five for five or six for six one day. I mean, he just, and I think for one series, he was like 13 for 15. He just, wow. he tore it up. But yeah, that Senzel kid was pretty good a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Dodgers have had a couple nice pitching prospects come through mm-hmm. the past couple years. So. Yeah, but yeah, that's a, you'll see Hunter Green um, this year coming up because he's going to Dayton. To, yeah. So, yeah, he's interesting. He wants to hit and pitch. Hmm. I don't know how long they'll stick with that, but oh, really? Teaching him some, yeah. Well, I thought they would just. I thought they just gone pitcher with him, but that's yeah. that'll be interesting to see. Well, there was a that one kid who got him. He was from Brendan McKay. Mm-hmm. He's going to do that this year, but I think he, he's going to be at high A. Yeah, I always wonder, like, the teams will say we'll let you hit at first, but they usually push them to just pitch eventually. Yeah. Well, the, there, were, there were two kids, and they were high school teammates, and they were also Little League World Series teammates, um, Nick Prado and Hagen Donner, and they were both first or second round picks last year. And they they both wanted to pitch and hit in in the minors, but um, both of them are now position players. Donner's now behind the plate, and then Prado is going to be at first base. But he's got a nice nice profile. So I mean, it's it's not something that's unusual, you know, because there's been a lot of pitchers who've been you know good hitters, but it's it to actually do it at such a high level is. A little ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I'll ask you this. Uh, mm-hmm. You followed a lot of players, written yeah. articles by a lot of players. What player would you be the happiest to see make the major leagues and succeed? Um, I really kind of like um, Albertos, or not Albertos, but Albert Almora. Because I... Um, I remember seeing him come up at Kane County and he was such a defensive machine. And, um, 
Um, my wife's former secretary was um, the Cubs director of scouting, Joe Bowinger, the former director of pro scouting, Joe Bowinger. His wife was my wife's secretary. So we would talk about Alberto's once in a while, or about Albert once in a while. And I'm like, you know, he just, he, he thinks he can hit every pitch. And he, it took a couple of years for him to get that out of his brain because no matter what pitch came up there, he thought he could do something with it, whether it was slash it to right or pull it down the line or even hit a fly ball. You know, he was wanting to do something with every pitch. And um, it was frustrating to watch, you know, after six weeks, I'm like, God, he's, he's just got to be more selective. And it took two years for him to get that figured out. And then once he did, you know, he went to, I think he was at double A for a year and a half before they finally moved him to triple A. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's where he finally figured it out. So I was really excited to see him play because he plays the game hard. Um, he's a team first guy and um, he'll do whatever he'll run through a brick wall to win. So I, you know, I was happy to see him kind of go through that struggle and then come out the other side. But, you know, there are some other kids that are coming that I think um, I would be just as happy to see. Like um, Cubs have a, a pitcher named Ryan Williams who basically skipped high A, went from South Bend to Tennessee, and then has spent the last two years dealing with shoulder injuries. And um, he was one of my favorite players to watch pitch. I mean, he's just – he kind of reminds me of Sutcliffe, but a little bit stockier. Um, and – He's pretty tenacious on the mound. I mean, he's got a closer mentality as a starter, but uh, I don't know if he's going to start anymore. But if he made it, that, I thought I think that would be a really cool story. Yeah. Well, that was my favorite um, player was uh, Jorge Soler. Oh yeah. For some reason, I just when I started following him and the minors, I really liked him. So I was very excited when he came up, and I just like. <laughs> a big backer of him for a long time, but like, obviously it hasn't worked out well for him, but he's still young. He, he can always rally back. You never know. Yeah. Do you have a MILB TV? Uh, I don't really. Um, I usually follow your guy years and, um, Cubs down, like, of course, John for a long time. And, and now Michael Ernst, I read, like you guys do some pretty good coverage of that stuff. So I usually follow that more than MILB. Yeah, well, actually, John's the one who kind of got me um, uh, not started on my own blog, but um, I had written a history blog for years, and um, I was I had finished up my doctorate, and I was just I was just like so bored. <laughs> I was just like I really don't want to write about history anymore, and I really don't, um, you know, I don't know. I I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, cause that was a lot of time and effort to get, um, my dissertation done. So when that happened, I'm like, well, you know, I enjoyed reading John and I'm like, well, for some reason I just got started making those little baseball cards I make mm-hmm. on my site and he, he began publishing them and, you know, he would thank and we'd email back and forth or message and, um, 
you know, occasionally I would forget to tag him, you know, picture by John and he'd call and he'd text me and remind me, it's like, Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. But he's the guy that got me started, um, actually publishing and encouraged me to do those types of things. Um, but you know, I started my own blog and, you know, he helped me out a couple times on a couple articles and, uh, I would, he was always willing to talk, um, prospects, um, but you know that's a that's a big loss on getting information, um, you know, uh, about the lower parts of the system because he was such uh, had such a voracious appetite for those young guys and you know letting everybody know who could do what and you know it's uh I mean he loved the big league club too but you know it was it's very sad when he passed away so suddenly yeah. So, you know, I mean, he was, he was somebody that inspired a lot of people and he's also an aspiration too. you know, a lot of people to, um, aspire to have, um, his kind of, um, love of the game and also level headedness too. I thought John was very level headed. Yeah, he, he really was. Um, so now I'll move on to the question I ask everybody in my uh-huh. podcast. <laughs> Um, how did you become a Cubs fan? How did I become a Cubs fan? Oh, well, I think it had to do with, um, the Sunday broadcast. Um, I grew up in, uh, Polo, Illinois, which is, you know, Southwest of Rockford, about 40 miles Southwest of Rockford. And, um, uh, it had to be somewhere in the late sixties. Whenever I remember, um, like Brooks Robinson was my hero as a little kid and I wanted to be just like Brooks. And then, um, I started liking other players and back then they only showed, uh, baseball on Saturday afternoons with game of the week. And then on Monday night, you had the Monday night game of the week. So I started, you know, checking those out when I was like five or six but when Ernie hit his um, 500th home run, I think that kind of got me. I knew my dad liked the Cubs, and every Sunday he would watch the Cubs. And uh, that, um, I think, is where it started. And, you know, I still followed my favorite players. You know, Reggie Jackson came along. But, you know, the Cubs always stuck around there um, as time went on. And, um, you know, that's the first game I went to was in Wrigley Field. And back then, no, I mean, that, there, this is the early 70s, and nobody was at Wrigley Field back then. I, I mean, we could start out in the shade behind third base, and by the sixth inning, we'd be in the front row, you know, um, because there were very few people coming to the games. And so, you know, you had to see Fergie and Billy, um, and those were my, my first few heroes as Cubs were those guys. I wasn't really that big of a Ron Santo fan because, um, at that time he was not very good, you know, in the, in the early seventies. I mean, his heyday was, you know, in, in the mid sixties, but, you know, I really liked, um, Billy Fergie, And for some reason, uh, Ken Holtzman and Bert Hooten. I always kind of gravitated towards pitchers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's how it how it started out. All right. Well, I think I'll ask one more question. Since, okay. Uh, you were talking about you started with a history blog. 
Yeah. And you, you've got your doctorate in history. I only have a bachelor's degree in history, so yeah, I'm, I'm not very, but um, and just talk about what kind of stuff in history do you, what is your interest right now in history that you're really focusing on? Um, well, I, I teach every day and have for well, God, decades, but um, I really like learning now about um, criminology type stuff for some weird reason. <laughs> like the big thing I've been reading about lady lately is this lady called uh, Frances Glesner Lee and she's from Chicago. And I've been, my students do, um, they take part in the national history day program. And so they make exhibits and then we participate in a competition at uh, NIU and DeKalb in late February. And I've been trying to get somebody to do this project about this lady who made 30 dioramas and these dioramas are about 30 different murder scenes. And each diorama was meant to teach cops and um, detectives on how to analyze a crime scene. And they're just uh, amazing detail. They're called a nutshell. I think they're called the nutshell diaries or something like that. Um, but they're just really cool little dioramas that this lady made. Um, and they began using them at, at Harvard University back in the late 1930s. And that's, that's kind of what I'm checking out now. Um, I've always been a big um, World War II buff. And um, my wife and I, one of our vacations um, 12 years ago, we spent just doing Civil War stuff in Mississippi. So... Mm. <laughs> and oh in Tennessee too um, but yeah I like I like the Civil War I like uh, civil rights stuff I love Kennedy and Eisenhower so yeah those are my those are my favorites right yeah cause, no, I've, I've done a lot of reading of like the 60s and stuff lately yeah. too yeah um, I just read that um, um, what's the new book the one that's Lawrence O'Donnell about Oh. 1968 election. Yeah. It was very interesting, though. Huh. With, uh, you know, it was giving me new details, like a lot more about Eugene McCarthy, which I didn't know as much about him as I did about, like, JFK and RFK and those guys, but it was interesting. My um, my mentor um, is a, an older lady who worked at um, NIU in DeKalb, and um, she went to a book signing of Doris Kearns Goodwin and didn't tell me. And she got me autographed copy of the bully pulpit by Doris Kearns Goodwin. No. So that was pretty, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> Ironically, I am literally in the middle of reading that book right now. Is it pretty good? Yes. It is pretty good. Yeah. I love to hear her. Um, she's one of my favorite people to listen to. And especially when she talks about um, baseball and her father and I could listen to her tell LBJ stories all day. So mm -hmm. she is just, you know, she's an adorable old lady who just is an amazing storyteller. So, yep. And so I, I have, I have like 12, 13 books that I, they haven't read. <laughs> so, so like I keep buying these books every so often because after my dissertation, I, I didn't want to read, but I'm like, well, maybe someday I'll buy that or read that. And so, that's on the list for this summer. I actually, um, over Christmas break, read my first book in five years. Mm. So, and then um, 
don't know if you know Missy from um, Twitter. Yes, I do. Yeah, she um, got me interested in um, this other trilogy, and I haven't started reading it yet, but the first book is called The Fifth Season or something like that. So it starts off with The World Ends, so that's a pretty good start. <laughs> so that's those are on my next list. I read a book called um, Meet Me in Atlantis, which is about all these people that are trying to find Atlantis all over the world. And that's pretty interesting. So I think that was a good first art. What else have you got lined up to read? You know, I don't, I usually come with new books. Like after I read one book, something from that book interests me. So then I move on to I look for that topic. Like, um, I, I was reading a lot about Nixon because yeah. there are certain things going on in the world right now that are similar to Nixon. I won't mm-hmm. go into huge detail about them involving certain presidential scandals, but yeah, nobody's to be named. Yes, but I uh, read all the president's men. Oh after yeah, I'd wa- after I'd watched the movie like a hundred times, but it was pretty good. Yeah, um, there's a really good book on um, the Kennedy administration you might like. Um, it's one of my favorite um, historical books I read. Guy's name is Diglio, G-I-G-L-I-O. And that's, that's if you're into Kennedy, I think that's the book to read. Um, I know a lot of people like 13 Days by Robert Kennedy, but yeah, it's all right. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't like to read a lot of history lately, but I tend to be more like brain candy. At yeah. this stage of my life. <laughs> so, yeah, whatever I can get. Oh, are you excited about the start of the season? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think yeah. I'm ready. I'd, I'd like to see how this uh, free agent thing finally shakes out. Yeah. It's like, you're, it's like by now in a normal year, we know where everyone is for the most part, where everyone's going. And it's like, it's like, let's go. Let's get everybody where they're going to go. We've got a month before the season starts. Let's. Yeah, I, I don't think – I think it just relax and things will work out, I think. Yeah. I mean, Theo's got a pretty good track record for, you know, six summers now. Yeah, um, pretty good. What do, you, what do you think about the big Bryce Harper tease that's been happening this offseason? I don't know. It gets, <laughs> it gets a lot of clicks on uh, Cubs Insider, Cubs Den, all the places I uh, – yeah. So I guess that's good, but I I don't know. We'll see. Do you like writing for for two sites like I do? I do actually. Yes. Yeah. Huh. I almost um. There's another site called Twenty Eighty Ball, but that's more of a, a scouting thing. Mm-hmm. And I I've, I've thought about doing something for them. You know, I don't know why I thought it. You know. Just, stretch myself too thin, but I don't know. I think this, when I retire here in in about four or five years, um, pretty much going to be writing full time. Yeah. I don't know. A couple times is fine for me, you know, and it's in the summer I write almost every day, but, um, and you do game recaps, do you like doing game recaps or do you like doing the analysis pieces? Um, I kind of like doing both because the game yeah. recaps easy. It's kind of like, you never know what you're going to get. So it's kind of, it's fun to react to, but I do like the, the pieces where you, you know, 
I can analyze things more, but both I like both. So yeah, I'm, I'm I've never really been into the to the game recap. I kind of like um kind of focus on like big picture stuff with the major league club and then, you know, some profiles here and there or trends I'm seeing, um, or maybe how Joe does something. But, um, I've often wondered like for my own website, if I should go out and get someone to do like, um, previews and recaps and stuff like that. But I've never really, I don't know. I kind of like my site the way it is. I kind of like being a little, you know, just a little blog, a little part of the world that serves a little sort of has a little constituency that, you know, that's pretty loyal for the past four or five years. So yeah, that works out well. Well, you know what, actually I'm about to wrap up, but I let you do a little pitch for your blog. Okay. Well, um, I write for um, CubsInsider.com, and I do mostly minor leagues and prospects there. And then I, about twice a month, I write something for uh, BP Wrigleyville, Baseball Prospectus. But my own site is uh, CubsCentral at WordPress.com. And uh, during the offseason, I usually write about two, three times a week about prospects. Like right now I'm doing um, – Wednesdays, I'm talking about what each prospect needs to do at the next level. And on Friday, I break down positions in the system. And then every Sunday, even throughout the year, I have a weekly recap. And uh, I always have a baseball card of the week. And then during the season, I have minor league players of the week. So it's fun. And I got, you know, a few hundred people who check it out every day. So they're pretty loyal. They ask a lot of questions. So... Yep. Thanks for having me on, Sean. It was great. No problem. Talking. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. It was my pleasure. Yep. All right. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have for uh, this week's episode. Uh, we sh- we will have we'll have some more episodes definitely when spring training starts coming along, but we will see play it by ear. If stuff happens, we will have a podcast before spring training. If not, we will have one spring training, but thanks for listening.